Amen. Children are dismissed. Let's dismiss ourselves quietly if we would. All right, let's turn our Bibles. Genesis chapter 1 this morning, please. Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to continue on a little differently than I had anticipated. And on Sunday mornings, we've been looking through the book of Mark, setting through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and of course, touching on his miracles, but more importantly, how he interacted with people and how he professed the gospel. And we want to be able to profess the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to show him in our lives. And so we've been learning more about Jesus. The Bible says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. And so we have to look at him, and we have to study him to know what the Word would change us into. And so also, uh, we've been looking at Sunday nights for a little while, the battle of the ages, the battle of the ages. And I, and I gave you that premise that there's five different things in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, that go back right to creation, and we see that that's the thing that Satan attacks the most. And uh, I think you would probably agree when we are finished this study that most things going on in our world today could fall into one of those five categories. And so you'll remember, in the beginning, God. Just the very premise of God, that we believe God exists, and they've attacked his deity. And we see atheists and all kinds of things in the world today and false gods, and they don't believe in the one true God. But in the beginning, God created. There's been an attack on that in the last, especially 150 years with evolution and other theories that have come along to take away because creation is a testimony of who God is. The Bible says that nature itself testifies. And so we, we know that that's been under attack. And then last time we talked about in the image of God, let us make man in our image. And if, we, if Satan can attack that, of course, he can reduce the value of man and so we see rape, and we see murder, and we see abortion, and we see euthanasia, and on and on, because the mankind is not valued. We are not special. If we evolved and not created in the image of God, we are not very, uh, very much worth anything. But today, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 31, where the Bible says, male and female created he them. How many of you agree that's under attack today? Isn't that something? And you know, I, I really struggled. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggled with preaching this this morning. I did not want to preach this this morning. I was going to preach it in the evening. And I, I just felt that it's a vital message for our day, not because I'm preaching it, but because it is the Word of God. And uh, there's no coincidences with God. You understand that, right? And uh, this past week, of course, there was the Million March for Children. And on Wednesday of this past week, people met all over the world, and they were standing up against the woke ideology that is entering our schools and teaching children from five years old and up that it is okay to be a boy, or if you want to be a girl, or you can be whatever gender you want to be, and they've made up many of them. And so that happened on Wednesday. When you know, on Wednesday night was our third week of Master Clubs, and a year ago, uh, Pastor Calvin had put together a curriculum for the class that I now teach, and uh, I was handed this curriculum. Do you know what lesson three was? Male and female created he them. Amen. On the exact same day. The Lord knew that a year ago when Calvin put that whole curriculum together. I, just, I, couldn't, I was dumbfounded when I sat down and began to study, and I thought, isn't this something... This Bible study that we are doing on Sunday nights, I had planned on finishing it by Labor Day. But with missionaries visiting our church and with Lord's Table and such, we've had some pushed back. And so this very week, this is the lesson we fall on. The Lord knows, doesn't he? And so I think sometimes when the Lord says something three times to us, we ought to listen. 
And so this morning, I had my message ready out of Mark, and Lord willing, I'll preach that tonight instead. And I was just kind of getting ready, and I was in the bathroom, and I'm praying as I'm getting ready. And I, I'm, I'm trying to think through, and I'm just going to be transparent with you, I'm trying to think through, how can I encourage people to come back tonight? If it's that important, and it's that vital of a message, again, not because I have anything special to say, but because I think it's the crucial battle of our day. What else is under attack like our children in the issue of gender today? And I, and I just kept praying, Lord, how do I encourage people to come back? And, and I was a little concerned that in the evening service we have children in here and there might be some, some things that we say and that you say, I'm just not ready for my child to hear that. I take them out of the public school so they don't hear those words, right? And so the Lord said, why not? preach it this morning. I did not hear an audible voice, don't get me wrong. Uh, somehow we got this idea, Pastor Haley will tell you, we got this idea that there's Sunday morning messages and there's Sunday night messages, don't we? We get that idea, this is more of a Sunday night message. But I understand 150 years ago, it was opposite. Sunday morning was considered the time to train the saints and Sunday evening was an evangelistic service and they'd invite people out and try to see people saved. And we do kind of the opposite today. I said to the Lord, I said, but Lord, I said, I, uh, I, I think this is a Sunday night message. And the Lord pricked my heart again. He said, but there won't be any children in the morning service. And I thought, wow, he's right. He's always right. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but that still small voice kind of impressed upon my heart that this is the way we should go this morning. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 1. I wanted to give you kind of a disclaimer because some of you might say, well, that was kind of a Sunday night message and you'll leave here. But listen, we are to preach the whole counsel of God. And so we're going to stay in the Word of God today. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 1. And I'm, uh, I'm going to try to get through this information as quickly as I can. I, I said to my wife, this is the hardest message I've ever studied for because there's just so much going on in the world. And so I'm going to try to be single-minded and stay on the topic at hand. And obviously, it can get us off into all kinds of tangents when it comes to what we see in our society today. But look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we desperately need your help. Lord, it breaks my heart to see what is going on with our children today. It's overwhelming to think that in just one generation, we've gone to these things being whispered in the closets to being out in the streets called pride. Lord, they're destroying a generation. Oh God, may we be ones who earnestly contend for the faith. God, I pray that we would understand we are not a militant people, but we are a prayerful people. We are a people that need to fall upon our face before a holy God and beg and plead. We are also ones who must stand putting on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and we are to faithfully preach the whole counsel of God, even those parts that are hard for the world to hear. So God, would you 
Empower us with the Spirit of God today. Fill each one of us. Lord, not just the one who is preaching, but the ones who would receive it. And Lord, where the Word of God disagrees with our ideology, may we humble ourselves and realize that God is perfect and holy and right and just. And He'll also show grace to the sinner. God, help us to have that right balance, but help us to accept the truth today. And Father, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Male and female created he them. This past Wednesday, I mentioned the million person march. I'm not sure what it was called exactly, the million man march or something. They were trying to get a million people across Canada to stand for our schools and taking out the ideology that is permeating our classrooms today. I'm so thankful that we have Bethel Baptist Academy. By the way, that doesn't happen here. We believe male and female created he them. We believe that God ordained that one man would marry to one woman for their entire lives. And we teach that. We've had some folks come from other churches who have brought their kids and said, we can't have them in the public school. Would we allow them to put them in the academy? And they sat down with me. I had two different parents this summer and said, let me ask you, do you teach that woke ideology in your school? And you said, well, weren't you offended? No, I was glad they asked. I'm thankful for parents that are concerned enough about their children that they will ask that question even in a church. Because not every church is standing for the truth today. And they were not to take for granted that we were. They didn't know us that well. So I was thankful that they asked. The march would be organized at 9 a.m. And, and, uh, at the park here in town. And so I did not promote it. I wasn't sure what might happen at a march like that. I wasn't something that I felt like the church should maybe get behind. And, and so I just watched carefully. And about 10 o'clock, Calvin and I went down just to see what was going on. And we walked around with Bethel Baptist Church on our shirts and we just shook hands with people and talked to a few people and thanked them for coming and ran into a couple people from the church there. And we were thankful. I said to my wife after, I also saw some angry people on both sides of the street. I saw some people that had vulgarities on their shirts and on their signs. And I said, I'm thankful that as a church, we didn't jump wholeheartedly into that and pair ourselves with that vulgarity and that, that methodology of protesting. We went down and we listened to the speech and I said to him, if there's anything at all, I said, if there's anybody that starts shouting down the others or they start getting violent in any way, I said, we are walking away as quickly as we can. I said, if we can't get to our car, if it's blocked off or something, we will walk over to Wendy's or Tim Hortons and we will wait till it's done and we'll come back and get our car, but we will not be a part of some violent protest. And we praise the Lord, it stayed peaceful apart from just people talking angrily among themselves. But that anger speaks to a very emotional issue, doesn't it? There are some things that we ought to get angry about. We ought to have some righteous indignation about. And this is one of them. Because it is destroying not just the fabric of our society, it is destroying our next generation. And so let's look at what the Word of God says today, and I'm going to just share a quick video with you. And um, I tried to find a couple things that might help us, and I came across this. This is just from one perspective. I do not agree with everything that she says, 
I'm hoping that you're mature enough to weed that out yourselves. But this is a lady that is battling, in particular, young ladies that are trying to transition into boys. And so it just gives us a little snapshot of what's going on in the world today. It's about five minutes. Watch, and we'll pick up our message after. If you know any middle or high school girls today, or if you are one yourself, it would not be surprising if you know someone who identifies as transgender. The latest statistics indicate that 2% of American high school students now identify as transgender, and the overwhelming majority of them are teenage girls. Between 2016 and 2017 alone, the number of females seeking gender surgery in America quadrupled. But if you graduated high school over a decade ago, it was unlikely that you knew anyone who was transgender because, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the condition underlying it afflicted roughly 1 in 10,000 people, or 0.01% of the population. Almost none of these cases were teenage girls. In fact, before 2012, there was no scientific or medical literature discussing adolescent girls who wanted to transition to the opposite sex. That doesn't mean that we didn't know about transgender individuals. Gender dysphoria, the severe discomfort in one's biological sex, has been studied for nearly 100 years. It almost always involved boys who began feeling it between the ages of 2 and 4 and were strong and persistent in their assertions to everyone around them that they were really girls. When a phenomenon that affects one half of a population, boys, suddenly begins affecting the other half, girls, and when its age of onset shifts from preschool to adolescence, something significant is happening. In 2016, Brown University public health researcher Lisa Lippman began studying the sudden spike in trans identification of teenage girls. She concluded that peer influence and social media influence had a lot to do with this trans-teen phenomenon. After all, based on parent reports, none of these girls had exhibited symptoms of gender dysphoria at the age that it typically first presents, early childhood. YouTube, Reddit, Tumblr, TikTok, and Instagram all host popular social media influencers, today's version of Hollywood stars, who insist that if you feel uncomfortable in your body, you're probably trans. Many promise that if you start a course of testosterone, all of your problems will go away. There's every reason to believe that these girls are experiencing real psychological pain. Rates of anxiety, depression, and instances of self-harm are all at record levels for this generation. A quick fix becomes very tempting. So it doesn't take much, a YouTube video, a friend's suggestion, to get a troubled girl to buy into the fantasy that gender transition is the answer. Unfortunately for these girls who do not have typical gender dysphoria, gender transition rarely offers relief. And it's a catastrophic mistake for psychologists, educators, and the medical establishment to rush these teens towards a solution that will almost certainly harm rather than heal. Because here's what's not in dispute. Unnecessary medical gender transition causes irreversible damage high risk of infertility, sexual dysfunction, and the creation of a permanent medical patient. Tragically, we've made it far too easy for kids to take this path, long before they're ready psychologically or emotionally to make such a life-altering decision. Testosterone is easily obtained by today's teens, 
In Oregon, a 15-year-old can walk into a gender clinic. Yes, there are now gender clinics all over the country and walk out the same day with a prescription for testosterone without her parents' permission. 16-year-old girls have been able to undergo double mastectomies, the removal of both breasts, without even a therapist's note. Predictably, hasty gender transition, remember we're talking about teenagers here, is now leading to a lot of regret. New testimonials appear on YouTube almost every week from teens who acknowledge that they made a terrible mistake and warn others not to make the same one. So how do you protect your daughter from being drawn into this dangerous and growing trend? First, limit their exposure to social media as much as you can. Several academic studies have already linked the alarming rates of anxiety and depression to young girls' punishing experience on social media, a place that often makes them feel sad, unattractive, and alone. Second, oppose the teaching of gender ideology in your kid's school. In California, gender identity education begins in kindergarten and proceeds through high school. The theme is that kids' gender identity is totally independent of their physical sex and something that only they can know. Schools can and should insist that every child be treated respectfully without sowing gender confusion in an entire student population. Third, and most importantly, remember that a teenager is still just a teenager. You don't have to agree with every identity proclamation your daughter comes up with. Knowledge of her identity will develop over time. Until then, being the adult in the relationship is the most loving thing you can do. I'm Abigail Schreier, author of Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters, for Prager University. I don't know if Mrs. Schreier is a Christian or not, and Prager University is a a, a Jewish-sourced Uh, Dennis Prager is a Jewish man, an Orthodox Jew, but he believes the Bible and he believes God's uh, perfect will as far as the genders are concerned. And so I thought they'd give us some insight. I didn't agree with everything. They're they're protecting children. And so they kind of said, until they get to the age, I think it's sinful even when you're an adult. Amen. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So let's look today, if you would. I just want to give you a little snapshot of what's going on in our society and a couple things there that we heard that we may have been glad that children weren't here to hear. But uh, as parents, we need to know what's going on. Isn't it sad? I said to my wife, I said, I want to kind of keep the children out. And, and we talked about it, and we realized they're hearing far worse at five years old in public school. And we have to have these conversations. And so let's look at the Word of God today and see what it has to say. I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, Male and female created he them. Here's our first thing. We are created to be different. Created to be different. I, I do not have the time. I'm going to be honest with you. I do not have the time allowed in the service. And there will be future times where we will look at other messages. I do not have the time in this series right now to unravel all the things that are going on in our world. I can't possibly do it. Here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to hold up the truth, and you can see the counterfeits for yourself. Amen? So let's just look at the truth today. We were created to be different. We were created to be different. Back in the 50s and the 60s, they tried to do away with that difference, didn't they? They came up with what is called unisex. 
unisex styles. I remember as a child even getting a bicycle and it was called a unisex bicycle. It was for both the sexes. More recently, we have seen that there's been department stores that have had unisex bathrooms and things like that. And so they're trying to diminish the distinction or the differences between the sexes as much as they can. And I want you to notice a couple things about these differences today. First of all, we are to be different in gender. Different in gender, male and female. That's it. That's it. And we, we can be duped or deceived today to hear that there are some 87 or 94 or whatever. They just keep adding to the list of how many different genders there might be. There are some that say, I'm neither gender. I am no gender. And they refer to themselves as them and they. And, and so the Bible is very clear that when God created man, he created them as male and female. Now you can look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 and you can do what I did. I looked up the, uh, the Hebrew meanings of the word uh, male and I looked up the Hebrew meaning of the word female. I went to the New Testament. I looked up the Greek meanings of male and female and guess what I found out? There is no other possible interpretation of those words. That's it. There are some words in the Bible, and we will look at one later on today, and I, I, if I remember to mention the other words, but sometimes there's a word in the Bible that might be steadfast, or in another part of the scripture, it might be interpreted as solidly, or something like that, very similar in meaning, but uh, in the Bible, these Hebrew and Greek words are always male and female, there's no ambiguity about it whatsoever. When God created us, he created us to be different in gender. Now, you heard uh, this lady on the video say, talk about gender dysphoria. That was the mental illness that this was classed as until just about 11 years ago. If somebody came to you and as a two-year-old, or in most of these cases took case, as she said, between two years old and four years old. There's a clinical psychologist in Canada by the name of Jordan Peterson, and he says the same thing. It usually happens between two and four years old of little boys. And they just say, Daddy, I think I'm a girl. But here's what they'll also say, Daddy, I think I'm Spider-Man. And as parents, we steer them away from that thinking, don't we? If your child comes to you and says, Daddy, I'm Superman, we're okay with that for a little while, right? You're two-year-old, you're four-year-old, you're six-year-old, dress up. I mean, we had Timmy and Toby over yesterday. My wife had them during the wedding, and, and, and I, when I went home, they were there. And those boys, they always are pretending they're something. They're Superman, they're Spider-Man, they're Captain America, they're some baseball player. They're, they're always pretending. But you have a problem when your 18-year-old thinks he's Spider-Man, right? He's walking around town in a Spider-Man outfit. You say, how's he ever going to succeed in society? How's he ever going to get a job? And you sit down with him when he's 14 and 15 and say, son, haven't you outgrown this? This was fun and cute when you were four. But the opposite is true when a little boy says, I believe I'm a girl. And in the ideology of the day, they're jumping all over it and saying, well, let's help you explore that identity. As a parent, that is child abuse. That is sinful before a holy God. And you'll stand before God and give account for that. I can't say it in any stronger words. So gender dysphoria, what it is, it is a mental illness that takes place 
when those who are confused about their gender. Jordan Peterson said this, that clinical psychologist I just cited, that these children are preyed upon and abused. Rather than being corrected or taught, they are encouraged to pursue their feelings. This leads to depression and anxiety, and they are called to embrace fully this new gender, which leads to life-altering hormone therapy and surgeries. We were created to be a different gender. But I want you to know also, we're not just different in gender, we're different in genetics. I might just be repeating what I just said, but I want you to understand this, that every woman in this room has two X chromosomes, and every man in this room has an X and a Y chromosome. Every cell of your body has those chromosomes. That's, that's it, that's a scientific fact. Now this world would say we need to believe the science. If we're going to believe the science, I don't care if you put makeup on, I don't care if you change your hairstyle, I don't care if you dress like the other sex, you still have the exact chromosome in every cell of your body that says you're either male or you're female. That's it. We are different in our gender, we are different in our genetics, and we need to understand how important it is. And you say, well, what about those, those people that are born who appear male, but they also have female organs internally. That happens. I'll say that that happens just like every other abnormality happens. It is a result of a sinful fall. You see, sin crept into the world when Adam and Eve sinned and fell from the grace of God. And from that time on, we see that society began to spread out, and for a while they married close relatives, but later on, God said, no longer are you to do that. Because genetic abnormalities, because of sin, had begun to creep in. And so when we see a genetic abnormality, and, and um, can I be honest, almost every one of us probably have one or something. Where we have Theo this weekend, and he's allergic to certain things. He's allergic to, to milk, and he's allergic to eggs, and, and all kinds of things. And, and that is a genetic abnormality. We were, Adam and Eve were not created to be allergic to things. God said, everything you see, you can eat. Go ahead, enjoy. Calvin's allergic to bee stings. And man, it's fun. We've had a wasp nest down here, and it's fun watching him run around and scared. I love it. But he had to have me go spray it for him because he said, if I get stung, I'll end up at the hospital. That's a genetic abnormality. We all have something probably going on. You may not even be aware of it. But for a, a girl that is born perhaps with, with male uh, organs within her body or a boy that's born with, a, that's a genetic abnormality that does not prove that there are two genders. It does not make them asexual. It doesn't make them any difference. Listen, the chromosomes are still either XX or XY in every single case. There's never been, I, I researched this, there's never been a known case of a girl that has been born with male organs within her being able to impregnate another female. It's never happened. There's never been a case of, a, uh, of a, a male born with uh, female organs within him that's ever given birth. That's never happened. Now, you may see on Time magazine or something a picture of a, of a male that looks pregnant. I'm going to tell you that's either likely a female that's becoming a male, trying to transition, or they've implanted a baby in that, in that body somehow. That is, that is Dr. Frankenstein stuff. 
That is not true science. I mean, we talk about the science all the time, but listen, we want to be honest. Every cell you have, Tom Ferrier, is XY. You're a man. Ladies, Ida, every chromosome you have, or every cell you have has the XX chromosomes. You're female 100%. So we are created to be different. But I want to give you this. We are commanded to be distinct. We are commanded to be distinct. You see, what does that mean? Number one, in our raiment, our clothing. Listen to what the Bible says. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. That's pretty hard to understand, isn't it? Pretty simple. Men don't dress like women. Women don't dress like men. Because when you do, it's an abomination to God. And we got a lot of opinions about that, don't we? I came from an era where I heard preaching that women should never wear pants. Let me say this. I don't think a woman should ever wear men's pants. No. They're cut differently. I don't think a, a man... You, if I went home and I put on a pair of ladies' slacks... I don't have the hips for it, for one. Let's just say they're different, right? So I'm not talking about slacks or pants. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about men, you ought not dress like women, and women, you ought not dress like men. And we're all smart enough to understand what that means, aren't we? When we were down at the protest this week, there was a young man who was very, very confused. He came to Bethel Baptist Academy years ago. If I said his name, several of you might know him. He has walked by my house one day with a, we used to call them boom boxes, you remember? It used to be cool. Now you got everything on your phone. It used to be cool when I was a teenager. The bigger the stereo you had, the cooler you were. And you put it up on your shoulder, right? And you walk. And so he's walking down the street with this big, I guess you call it a boom box. And he's singing at the top of his lungs. I believe that he's a demoniac. I believe that. I believe that Satan has got a hold of him. And I know Brother Hilton has been trying to work with him from time to time. And he dresses like a woman most times. Sometimes he dresses like an elf. And he'll go in Tim Hortons and sing Jingle Bells and things like that. I've seen him in there. But most days he dresses like a woman. And he puts makeup around his eyes and he's got a beard. And I said to Calvin, when we were walking around, I said, Calvin, what do you feel right now? He said, I feel sad. I said, that's what I feel, overwhelming sadness. To see what is going on here. Years ago, we went to the Port Dover July 1st parade. And my uh, kids were little. And uh, we were standing at my grandma's house. And a pride float came by. And there was men dressed like women. And my son, Brendan, was only about eight years old. And he says, Dad, why is that man dressed like a woman? I said, how can you tell that's a man? He says, look at the size of that Adam's apple. He called it, he said, look at the size of that apple's Adam. That's what they called it. Him and Emily both, apple's Adam. Look at the size of that apple. He could, you could see it from a mile away. And even my kids knew that was wrong that it was sinful before God. We are called to be distinct. 
Never question it. Look at this verse. Listen to this verse. 1 Corinthians 11. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Let me read this verse. Baptists like to leave it out. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. It is obvious regarding hair that this is not a hill that we are to die on. It says, if any man's contentious, we have no customs in the church of God. But God is saying you ought to be different. You say, well, what is long and what is short and what is, listen, be manly or be feminine. That, that's pretty easy to tell. If you're walking down the street and somebody can't tell that you're a man or a woman because of your hair, then you've got a problem. You know, we had a fellow in our church in Hamilton that was a big burly fellow and his hair was a little bit longer and curly around it. And I, I, I grew up thinking, boy, that's not the Baptist haircut I ever was allowed to have. But there was no mistaking for a second he was a man, I'll tell you that. And so I think the distinction is what's important. I'm not going to tell you you have to have your hair just so far off your ears. Listen, I, I don't do this just to be safe, all right? <laughs> I have no choice. God is my barber. But you ought to be able to tell the difference. How do you dress? How do, listen, I'm just saying, from these two passages of Scripture, wherever your opinion falls, there's some undeniable facts. We are called to be distinct. There's not to be any confusion among these things. You are male or you are female, and God is saying, act like it. So we see it, we are to be distinct in our raiment, we're to be distinct in our roles. Now, if you're a woman's liver, you're not going to like this, but can I just be honest with you? God made you to be different. It's okay. God called you. I'm not talking about, listen, I'm not talking about, well, it's a woman's job to always cook dinner and always do the dishes. I'm not saying that. Men, you ought to help. You ought to help. But my Bible says in Proverbs 31 that the wife is to be the keeper of the home. God has given you a distinct role. And if I, I don't have the time today to go there, but Proverbs 31 talks about a godly woman and her roles in the home. And, and by the way, when a woman fulfills her godly role in Proverbs chapter 31, she is honored. And her children will rise up and call her blessed. Wonderful thing, amen, 65 years, praise the Lord. Turn, if you will, to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, I am going to look at a couple scriptures here. Titus chapter 2, we see the distinctions between men and women and how we are to behave. What are our roles? Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Why? That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyselves a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. There are some very defined roles for male 
and female. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy, just back a few pages in your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And jump down to verse 9 with me. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness. Let me just stop there for a second before I read on. How you dress professes something. I, I, won't, I won't tear this whole scripture apart. We don't have the time. But just how we dress, it gives us some, some, some ideas there of how a woman is supposed to dress. It says, as women professing godliness, how you dress says something about you. And we are to be distinct. I don't want anybody. Listen, you say, well, uh, pastor, don't you have a pink tie? Yeah, because the choir cantata, some woman bought me a pink tie. You can blame Judy for that. But I have a pink tie. I really do. I have a pink tie. Here's, here's, the, here's what I always tell people. God made pink, and he's the toughest fellow I know. Amen? It's not about color. It's about being distinct in the sexes. Okay? Now, I'm not going to wear a pink skirt, I'll tell you that. And I'm not going to dress like a female, I'll tell you that. I don't want ever to be mistaken that I'm a man and my wife's a woman. I'll tell you what, I, I see some of these tough women and I thought, why would they ever, what man would ever be attracted to a woman that is dressed like a man? We are to be distinct in our raiment and in our roles. Look at verse 10. But which becometh, uh, which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Yesterday, I read Ephesians chapter 5 at the wedding that we are to submit ourselves one to another. But then women are to submit themselves to their own husbands. And husbands are to love their wives. And you say, oh, that's just putting women down. No. Not at all. It's not about being inferior. It's about God's due order. Men are called to lead. And that's just what the Bible teaches. I won't read Ephesians 5 again today just for the sake of time. The point is this. As I read all these scriptures and share with you this morning, the point is that God has given us in his word clearly defined raiment and roles for men and women. We are to look different and we are to behave differently. Listen, here's, here's, some, here's some pronouns or words for you from the Bible and see if you see a pattern. Father and mother. Husband and wife. Grandfather, grandmother. Son, daughter. It's always binary. It's always two. Male and female. We are called to be distinct. Let me give you a third thing. We were created to be different. We were called to be distinct. But it's been compromised by the devil. Turn, if you will, to the book of Jude. Jude is an end times book that helps us understand some of these issues and what is coming down the pipe. And it's funny, as Jude writes, on Wednesday night, I said Mrs. Bousfield was in our class. And I said, you know, boys and girls, when Mrs. Bousfield was a little girl, she never had to 
envisioned that this was going to take place. I said, when Mrs. Ferry was a little girl, when I was a little boy, we never even thought of these things. But Jude warned us that it was coming down the pipe. So we see the compromise by the devil. Number one, it is an attack that is subtle. An attack that is subtle. Notice what Jude says in verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares. That's subtle. If I were to see the young men walk in this morning that I just described to you a few moments ago that came to Bethel Baptist Academy as a young boy and, and now is dressing as a woman every day and walking around Simcoe and, and just obviously influenced by spirits. And, and if he were to walk in this auditorium today, we would be able to identify it right away, wouldn't we? We may have pity, we may have grace, we may feel overwhelming sadness when we see that and we would say, but we would be able to say, there is something wrong. This is not of God. But that's not how Satan creeps in. The Bible says evil men crept in unawares. They dressed like we do, they acted like we do, they talked like we do, and they creep in unawares. And here's what the Bible says, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, they have a job to do, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What does that mean, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness? Honestly, a lot of churches do that today. I believe with all my heart we ought to show as much grace as we possibly can. But I also believe we ought to preach and stand against sin. The church or the evil men that creep in unaware and they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness is a church that says we show so much grace that we never preach on sin. That we never confront somebody about their sin. That we never tell people that they're lost and on their way to a Christless eternity. We never present the God. We just show so much love and so much grace just as Christ would show that anything can go. The church of Corinth was like that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read of a story of the apostle Paul rebuking the church of Corinth and he says, you are puffed up. There was a situation in the church where a man had his father's wife. I don't know if the father had died. The Bible doesn't say. But it was just an unheard of situation where he would take his father's wife. And uh, I hope to God it was not his real mother. I'm assuming a stepmother. But he took his father's wife. And the apostle Paul says, you're puffed up over it. In verse 5, he says, you're glorying over it. And how do we glory over such sin? We say, well, aren't we wonderful? We show so much grace. He says, no, you should have rather mourned. And you should have called together the saints, and you should have turned them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh because you're destroying the church, and you're destroying your testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what we see in this subtle attack that evil men will creep in unawares and they, they'll say, well, let's show love and let's show grace. And listen, I, again, I'm not against showing love and grace when we ought to, but there has to be a balance. Grace 
without truth turns into lasciviousness. You say, what is lasciviousness? The definition of it is wanton desire, following after your own lusts, doing whatsoever is right in your own eyes instead of obeying the will of God, lasciviousness. So we see an attack that is subtle. We see, secondly, an appeal to the senses. Look down in the book of Jude in verse 19. He goes on and speaks of so many as the church is falling away and sin is creeping in and becoming more prevalent. And he says this about them. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Is an attack that is subtle as an appeal to the senses. They are sensual, having not the spirit. I've preached an entire message on this to teenagers before, and I've preached it here at Bethel Baptist Church. If you are spiritual, you are following after the spirit. If you are sensual, you are following after your senses. And the two are diametrically opposed. If you are a child of God who claims you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you and you follow after your senses, you are at odds with God. But that's how these evil men creep unawares. They start saying, well, grace, 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 and everything's okay. Go and do what makes you feel good. Be all that you can be. Your biological sex no longer matters. If you feel it inside, that's what you are. It's an abomination to Almighty God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know this passage because it says, For the child of God, we were bought with a price. But notice what it says before that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. I promise you we'll be done shortly. I only got five more pages of notes. Hold on. Verse 9, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to focus on two phrases. Number one, the phrase effeminate. Effeminate. It's, well, you know, that can be interpreted a lot of different ways. That could be a, a man who's maybe a little soft or whatever, and that's what the word actually literally means is the word soft. But it means more than that. Years ago, we were, my wife and I, my um, son Brendan had a baseball tournament, and so we took some vacation time. We were down in Batavia, New York, and we went to church in Batavia, New York. And we went to this church, and we met the pastor, and right away we went, oh, how are you? I mean, that's how he talked. And I was like, oh boy. But then we met his wife, and we met his children, and we heard him preach, and just realized that he had some condition with his voice, and that was just it. I'm not talking about that kind of softness. The word soft here, or the word effeminate here, literally means, here's what it means, it means a soft it means a boy or a man who submits himself to a natural lewdness with other men. It also implies the word catamite, which is one who dresses himself with makeup and clothing to attract other men. 
It goes back to the time of temple prostitutes when boys would be there, painted up, they were poor, they were impoverished, and out of desperation, they would give themselves over to that type of life to take advantage of the wickedness of other men. But they would paint their face and appear as women. That's what the word effeminate means in the word of God. Notice what it says about them. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The phrase abusers of themselves with mankind is literally, and this is a totally different message, literally translated as homosexual. You say, why did they not just use the word homosexual then? Because the Bible was translated in 1611 and the word homosexual didn't come along until 1892. But that's literally what that phrase means. Don't, the world will tell you today, well, it doesn't say anything in the Bible. It absolutely does. If we were to go back to the book of Jude, we would find that they chased after strange flesh and abused themselves. And so over and over again, but it's a whole different message. But we see that the devil has compromised the truths of God simply by an attack that is subtle and appeal to the senses. Listen, be very careful when somebody says, follow your heart. Because the heart is desperately wicked. But that's what they're telling our kids today. Whatever you feel, pursue it. Let me give you one more thing. Number four, we are called to defend. We are called to defend. We are created to be different. We are commanded to be distinct. It has been compromised by the devil, but we are called to defend. I'm going to give you three principles quickly. Number one, be committed to training. Be committed to training. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Somebody said, well, I I committed to that, and my child is still messing up. Training is a two-part word. It's different than teaching. Training means that I will teach, but on the other side, it has to be received. If you start a new job in a factory tomorrow, your, your employer is going to try to train you. But if on Tuesday you cut your finger off because you weren't listening, you weren't properly trained, he did his best to teach you. You have to listen. And so sometimes there's a sin nature that's fighting against what you're trying to teach as well, right? And so we under, sometimes we beat ourselves up and say, well, the Bible says. and You just keep teaching. You keep doing your part. And you pray to God that they'll listen. Train up a child. And so be committed to training. Ephesians chapter 6 Ephesians chapter 6, look there with me, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What do those words mean, nurture and admonition? Nurture means instruction and correction. Instruction and correction. Admonition means to call attention to sin. And it's all of the Lord. It's his opinion, not yours. When it says the nurture and admonition of the Lord, it's not the nurture and admonition of you. It's not what you think is best. What does God say is best? See, why do you bring this up? Because it's becoming against the law now to try to counsel somebody or help somebody that is making this transition. That thinks they might be the opposite sex. I'm going to tell you unequivocally, folks, we reject that. I reject that. I don't know what you think. 
But if somebody comes and says, listen, I, I'm struggling with this, I'm going to say, no, you're a boy or you're a girl. I'm not going to be ashamed to say so because the Bible says so. We need to be committed to training. I, I remember when our kids were little, if there was any hint or anything, I was always thrilled. I was always thrilled. When Austin was three years old, we'd go, our kids would go to school and we'd go to pick them up. And he had a thing for blondes, didn't he? He was three years old. And there was a mom over there. She had long blonde hair. And he'd walk away from his mom and he'd go stand beside her. Three years old. And part of me, we're like, don't bug that nice lady. But part of me was like, yes. He likes girls. My daughter, she liked dolls and tea sets. And I liked that. But I'll tell you what, if they didn't, I tried to encourage them. Try to teach them and train them and say, no, nah, come on. Let's go do some boy stuff. Let's go, let's go shoot something. Amen? Let's go hunting. Let's, let's go fishing. We like fishing. That's what we did. I never shot anything. Just, you know, you tree huggers, you get mad at me. I'd take them down when I was changing the brakes on my car. I wanted the boys to learn that. Now, they didn't learn it. They, they were more fun. They, they went to the... And they'd climb up on the crane that the guy had there at the, well, the shop. They'd want to play on the tractors and stuff. I like that. Try to train them. Try to teach them, hey, there's a difference between a boy and a girl. There's a difference between what we, our appetites are. And so we need to be committed to training. Here's the second thing. We need to contend for the truth. You say, what truth? Everything we've said today, points one and two. We are created to be different. We are called to be distinct. Jude chapter, verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You know what the faith is? It's Bible truth. Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. Hey, I'm, I'm going to say something that might be controversial today. I believe every word Every word. If God said it, that settles it. And we need to hold to the truth, be committed to it. And here's the third thing. Listen, committed to training, contend for the truth. Number three, come to the throne. Come to the throne. We need to be a people of prayer. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to preach after I watched that video. Heard of the mutilation of children. I was... Sucking back tears over here thinking, what, what a horrible thing they're doing to little girls and little boys. We need to come to the throne. I'm in Ephesians 6. Let me read it to you quickly. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, listen, when I was in about fifth grade, our Sunday school teacher had us memorize this whole passage, one verse each week. And if we could say the whole thing at the end, they had a soldier up on the wall and they'd put all the different things on. To me, when I read it and was memorizing it at about 10 years old, it seemed like a big epic movie. This wickedness, this spiritual battle taking place. And I see this every day in the world now. This is real. 
He says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Our greatest resource is going to the throne. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace. You can ask for mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. If there's ever a time that we need to be praying about this issue, it's today, my friend. And so today, instead of closing the service with an invitation and having announcements and going our way, I'm going to encourage you to do this. We're going to take five or six minutes right now, every one of us, and just bow our heads right where we are. You may come to the altar if you like. And then I'm going to have a couple men come and close our service in prayer and pray about this important issue. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Let's bow our heads together. Let's pray.